0: Hi everybody, this is Gary Sandy and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP
1: cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide and say Weather today in the Greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? (laughs) Dear God, she's going to kill us all.
2: Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair.
0: And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the
2: trivia, and the
0: fun of WKRP.
2: So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati.
0: Welcome back to another WKRP cast. We're meeting more family today. Donna, what's our episode?
2: We're ready to discuss The Doctor's Daughter. It was aired on the 18th of February, 1980, written by Lisa Levin. Story editors, Dan Gunselman, Steve Marshall, Stephen Campman, and P.J. Tarakvi. Executive story consultant, Blake Hunter, directed by Frank Bonner. After being separated for seven years, Johnny's daughter, Laurie, comes to visit her father, bringing with her a new boyfriend. Johnny immediately steps into the role of the disapproving father and learns that there's a lot he doesn't know about his daughter.
0: We've got some big firsts happening with this episode. This is the very first writing credit for former production secretary Lisa Levin. Lisa worked as production secretary for 33 WKRP episodes. She will go on to be a story editor on another 33 WKRP episodes, story consultant on 11, and she will have a written by credit for this one and six more. Lisa continues her work as a writer and story editor throughout the 80s and into the mid-90s. She racks up writing credits on shows like Mr. Belvedere. Cheers. New Heart. A Different World. And many more. She will also marry WKRP story editor Dan Gunselman.
2: The other big first happening here, this is Frank Bonner's very first directing credit on any project. He will direct a total of six WKRP episodes. Although Frank is a fantastic performer, his career really took off as a director. Frank will continue to rack up acting credits into the early 2000s. He will also work as director on more than 170 episodes of television. His work will cover half-hour sitcoms, along with hour dramas, and even police procedurals.
0: Let's get into the episode. We start out in the studio, and since we're in the studio, we got a poster watch. Joan Armitrading is still on the door. She started, do you remember, in the hallway outside the bullpen, and she's been kind of moving around the station. Above Joan, we've got a new poster for the Hall Notes album, Ecstatic. Released in November of 79, this album cover featured a picture of a silver boombox in a plastic bag sitting in a puddle. The album yielded one hit, Wait For Me, peaked at number 18 on the U.S. Hot 100. A lot of soon-to-be big names did help out on this one. David Foster was the producer on all tracks, plus he played keyboards. G.E. Smith, who will go on to lead the Saturday Night Live band, plays guitar. And Steve Porcaro from Toto helps out with some synth programming.
2: Johnny is on the air as he introduces Why Do Fools Fall in Love?, by Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers.
1: All right, babies, it's 9.45 on the mighty KRP in Cincinnati. You got the doctor, I got Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers from 1956. They got a question that still applies.
2: Five, two, four, four. Morning, Boy. Let's talk. Andy enters and sits on the desk. He turns the volume down in the studio and tells Johnny they need to talk. Wanna? Travis turns the volume back down and asks Johnny why he doesn't want to talk. Because every time you
1: say let's talk, what you really mean is listen to me talk.
0: No, I don't. Now, listen to me. You can always tell when Andy is annoyed. Andy's body language and just everything about him, you know he's upset.
2: And he's very sarcastic. Yeah,
0: very sarcastic. So we are listening to Why Do Fools Fall in Love by Frankie Lyman and the Teenager. Why do This was the first hit for Duop group The Teenagers. It was written by Teenagers members Frankie Lyman and Herman Santiago. Once George Goldener from G Records heard it, he changed some of the lyrics and he decided Lyman's high tenor should be featured on the track. This version hit number six in 1956. Six different versions of the song have made the Hot 100, four of them in 1956. The last time a version of the song charted was when Diana Ross had a hit with it in 1981. That time around, it peaked at number seven on the Hot 100.
2: turns the volume back up. Travis turns the volume back down. <laughs> Travis explains that he doesn't like formula radio either. Travis holds up a sheet of paper that shows the playlist for the station. You have
1: yet to play a single hit off the playlist all week. Play the playlist. Play a part of the playlist. Play one song off the playlist. Play a part of one of the songs off the playlist. <laughs> Well, it's so nice to see we've established
0: a dialogue here. There you go. Wanna talk more about this? I'll be in my office playing with a loaded revolver. <laughs> now talking with you, John. <laughs> Again, Andy with the violence, a revolver. Just a hint there,
2: yeah, just a hint. (laughs) And check out
0: the board when Andy stands up. It's probably not a good idea to be sitting on the board anyway, but they definitely shouldn't move that much, even if you do.
2: Andy leaves the studio just as Jennifer is coming in.
0: Jennifer tells Johnny there's a very attractive young lady to see him.
1: Don't kid me, Jennifer, it hurts. (laughs) I think you should see her right now.
0: There's a girl in the hallway. She motions for her to come into the studio. We see a young lady walk in with sandy colored hair, wearing a zippered hoodie over a plaid shirt. And it looks like she's got some khaki overalls on. She smiles and says hi to Johnny. Do I know
1: you? Mm, Yes, but I was only 12 at the time.
0: 12. <laughs> <laughs> and Johnny gets a surprised look on his face at that.
1: I swear, Jennifer.
0: <laughs> and Jennifer leaves the studio. She already knows what's going on.
2: Johnny looks at the young lady and he suddenly recognizes the girl. Laurie? Laurie nods her head excitedly. Johnny asks why she didn't tell him she was coming. I did. You said maybe that was two months ago.
1: But that's how long it took me to get here. Seattle's a long way from here.
2: <sighs> Laurie. Hi, Daddy. <laughs> Lori throws her arms around Johnny's neck, and they hug. Jennifer watches through the window, smiling. I don't know. It's been she seven was seven
0: years. She, she was, was 12. 12.
2: Now she's 19. Did she really change that much that Johnny didn't recognize her?
0: Well, I'm wondering if maybe at 12, it was like one visit that Johnny wasn't living with her up till she was 12. He maybe saw her one time. Maybe that's the reason. Because, yeah, you would recognize
2: a kid from 12 to 19. They're not going to change that much. I would think so. I thought maybe he left when she was 12. And then, you know, he kept sending checks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he continued with the checks. I don't know, though. It seems like he would recognize her, but uh, I guess not. And Johnny's had a rough life since then.
2: That's true. You know,
0: there was L.A., and there was Buffy, and there was (laughs) San Antonio, and there's been a lot of stuff in Johnny's life since he last saw Lori. Lori is being played by Patry Allen. There's not a lot out there about Patry Allen. We don't even know if that's exactly how you pronounce her name. She worked as an actress throughout the 80s. This appearance on WKRP was one of her earliest roles, she will go on to total up 15 acting credits. She had single episode appearances in Saint Elsewhere and Masquerade in 1983.
2: The HBO series First in 10 1985, Highway to Heaven
0: in 1987,
2: Matlock, The Flash And MacGyver in 1990. And she also had a
0: four-episode run on the daytime soap Santa Barbara in 1988.
2: Now, Laurie said she came from Seattle to Cincinnati. And just how far is Seattle from Cincinnati? 2,359 miles. That's what she drove.
0: In a van with justin
2: now we don't know that we don't yet. know
0: justin yet but i know it if they came in a van i just can't imagine justin has got some bo so
2: and the happy
0: the <laughs> happy reunion takes us right into our theme W-K-R-P
1: in Cincinnati.
2: we come back from the open and we're in the studio Lori is sitting on a stool explaining to her dad how she ended up in Cincinnati. Anyhow, Mom said that as long as I lived under her roof, I'd have to... You'd have
1: to live by her rules. I know she told me the same
2: thing. (laughs) Lori tells Johnny that things got so tense around home that she packed up and split.
0: Her speech has a real late... 60s early 70s field of the vocabulary this is 1980 right. but she's talking like it's 1970
2: right and and later on she uses uh, old man and she uses that a lot yeah. and i don't ever remember using that phrase <laughs> i did use the word split sometimes let's split come on we're gonna split whatever she also tells johnny that her mom said terrible things about him johnny tells laurie he wanted to visit her more that's okay
1: i mean the checks were always there
2: Besides, I'm 19 now and I'm old enough to come to you.
0: Johnny says he doesn't know anything about being a father.
1: Well, I hope you and I can be friends. Just friends. I don't see why not. We could just dispense with all the father-daughter stuff.
0: Well, Johnny agrees to being just friends. He's, that sounds easier. Yeah, I'm going to set the father thing aside, which he finds out later. That's hard to do. Lori wants to know what to call him. How about Johnny? Terrific. Johnny turns back to the mic and he turns up the volume on the music. We hear Bo Diddley by Bo Diddley.
1: You play great stuff, Johnny. Uh, Well, that's because it's not programmed. I play my own stuff, you know. They don't like it, but they don't want me to quit.
2: Johnny is playing the song Bo Diddley by musician Bo Diddley. His real name is Ellis McDaniel. He was born in Mississippi, but grew up in Chicago. He worked as a carpenter and mechanic, but his real love was music. Diddley played on street corners and later in Chicago clubs. Leonard Chess of Chess Records gave him his stage name and the name of his first hit. The origin of the name is murky, but it might have been the stage name of a comedian working in Chicago at that time. Diddley's songs featured what's called an African clave rhythm with his signature five-accent hambone beat. The song Bo Diddley, backed with I'm a Man, went to number one on the R&B charts in 1955.
0: Johnny goes into the next song.
1: Okay, babies, we got time for just one top 40 hit. So let's check out Captain Antoneal. Uh-oh, no more (laughs) time. Maybe tomorrow. In the meantime, stay tuned for all the news with Les Nesman at 10.
0: Then Johnny starts an ad. What's worse than bathtub rig? And tells Lori that he will show her around. Johnny almost played a track by the Captain and Tennille. The Captain and Tennille were a soft rock duo based out of Los Angeles. The Captain was Daryl Dragon. He was a keyboard player. His wife, Tony Tennille, carried the vocals. Daryl got his start as a keyboardist with the Beach Boys, where he got the nickname Captain. He would regularly wear his captain's hat on stage during performances. Dragon met Tennille when he came to work for her As a keyboard player in 1972. They were married in 1974 and their debut album, Love Will Keep Us Together, came out in 1975. Would touch off a string of mellow hits through the late 70s.
2: Now, a fun side note about Tony Tanil, although she and the captain were some of the biggest soft rockers you could ever find, Tony had some legit rock projects. She continued to do session voice work even at the height of their success as a duo. She is a featured voice on Elton John's hit Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me.
0: But losing everything is my-
2: And she did numerous backing vocals on Pink Floyd's The Wall album.
0: Another example of why the newsman and the DJ should not share the same microphone. We see Les running by the window, hurrying into the studio. Am
2: I on? Well, Johnny was getting ready to leave before yeah, Les Yeah, he's just going to walk there. out,
0: so Johnny tells him he's got 30 seconds. Oh, golly. Les, I want you to meet my daughter, Lori. Les is frantically trying to get his tear sheets in order. He can't find page one, and he's not really paying attention to
1: Johnny. Anyway, Les, uh, Lori and I have built a nuclear device.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh...
1: We're going to murder all the newsmen in Cincinnati before we use it. Well, you two have a good time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Johnny Lori leaves the studio as Les begins his news show. And that bathtub ring commercial that we started, now the end of it kind of messes up Les's news intro. Right
1: down the drain
2: with Les Nessman. <laughs>
0: And now, a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nesman. This is the Les Nesman Bandage Report. Now, here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nesman.
2: Right Nostril.
0: This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb Award-winning journalist Les Nesman.
2: Johnny and Lori enter the bullpen from the studio hallway door and Johnny sees Bailey and introduces her to Lori. I want
1: you to meet my daughter, Lori.
2: Really? Bailey claims to see a resemblance between the two of them. You know, she does sort of look like you. Except on her it works. Hi. <laughs> Ooh, a burn from Bailey. Johnny tells Bailey that Laurie is a freshman in college. Before I dropped out.
1: What? Well, I wasn't learning anything in school, so I thought I'd get out and travel around for a while. <laughs> Mom got real mad.
2: Johnny tries to be cool about this news. He's a friend, remember, not doing the dad thing.
0: Yeah, I dropped out. That's what dad always wants to hear. Andy enters the bullpen looking all Santa Fe-ish in his blue and white western shirt with pearl white buttons. He is not happy about Johnny and his play-a-hit joke. (laughs) That was (laughs) <laughs> I'd play a hit, but I'm all out of time. <laughs> I'm telling you, I laughed so hard I dropped my gun. I was getting ready to shoot myself. Why are you doing this to me, huh? Johnny chooses this time to introduce Travis to Lori.
2: Ah, well, how you doing?
0: I'm your dad's best friend.
2: <laughs> Herb enters the bullpen as Andy is shaking Lori's hand, which brings us to... The line of the episode...
1: Cowabunga, Uncle Bob, who's the broad?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's It's Herb's delivery. It's Herb's delivery. the first thing that pops into Herb's mind has to do with, you know, broads and sex. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) Cowabunga, Uncle Bob.
2: (laughs) So when Herb pulled out
0: Cowabunga... I wanted to know the background. Cowabunga is associated with both the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Bart Simpson, but it's not original to either of them. The word Cowabunga was created by Howdy Doody show writer Edward Keene. The highly un-PC character Chief Thunderthud <laughs> 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 would Would use the word as an exclamation and to start almost every sentence. It was first heard on the Howdy Doody show in 1954. <laughs> well, never mind. Let's watch Clarabelle on television. Come on.
1: Oh, no, no, He's no. He's on television right now. Cowabunga, no, that clown looks sillier on television than he does in person. Yeah, but he might Look tell a secret, Chief. Oh, yeah!
0: <laughs> <laughs> you like Chief Thunderthud, don't you? <laughs> so by the 1960s, surfers were using it. Snoopy famously uttered the word in a 1965 Peanuts comic strip. By 1987... Mutant Turtle Michelangelo was a regular Cowabunga user along with Bart Simpson.
2: Cowabunga, dude! Cowabunga! <laughs> I made money! <a> <laughs> Johnny tells Herb that this is his daughter. Herb snickers. She's not really
1: your daughter. What do you think? I was born yesterday?
2: Johnny insists that she's his daughter. <laughs>
1: Hey, look, you think I'm an idiot.
2: Herb leaves the bullpen, going out the door to the studio hallway. Johnny tells Lori to excuse Herb. Herb's not the kind of guy that that you want to get
1: involved with.
2: (laughs) I know the type. You do? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Now, I think Johnny may be finding it harder than he thought to be a friend rather than a father. He and Lori head out the door. And go to the lobby. Yeah, setting that
0: dad thing aside is pretty hard. Yes. So in the lobby, Johnny, forgetting that Jennifer's already met Lori, tries to introduce them to each other. We haven't seen one another in
1: seven years.
0: Johnny asks if Art's in his office. Jennifer tells him he's not. And she suggests Johnny and Lori go in Carlson's office so they can have some privacy and talk.
2: A man walks into the lobby. We know from his clothes and his demeanor, he's a salesman. He walks up to Jennifer's desk, putting his briefcase on the floor next to her desk. As he raises up, he comes face to face with Jennifer. Hi there. Holy. (laughs) (laughs) It almost throws him off, but he he gets his composure back. We see him pick up a piece of mail from Jennifer's desk to get Mr. Carlson's name off it just before saying his name. Now that's a salesman trick, I guess.
0: That's a sleazeball trick is what that is. The salesman is being played by Milton, Oberman, this guy is pretty great. He has a similar energy to Christian Seaborn. Mm
1: -hmm. You want to talk impossible?
2: We have a staple gun here that fires through concrete.
0: I really want to see a cage match featuring this guy, Herb, and Del (laughs) Murdoch.
2: That would be entertaining. They
0: just have to sell things to each other. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Milt has an extensive IMDb profile with 52 acting credits and zero personal information. We don't know anything about Milt other than he started his career in 1973 on Love American Style, and he did work regularly through the end of the century. Milt made several trips to the Mary Tyler Moore Studios. He appeared on Rhoda, WKRP, Soap, Newhart, and Hill Street Blues. There is one bit of personal trivia we found about Milt. He was planning to retire from teaching elementary school in 2013. We don't know if that happened or not, but it said he was planning
2: on it. We move to inside Carlson's office where Lori is taking in the fish on the walls.
1: Wow, this guy Carlson, uh, he's heavily into fish, isn't he? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Lori then sits on Carlson's desk and crisscrosses her legs. Johnny feels a bit nervous about this.
1: Do you think you ought to do that? Do what? Sit on his desk. (laughs)
2: I'm not hurting it or anything. I was
1: just being me. I'll get off if you want No, to. no, no. You're right. Uh, you should be you. I should be me. As a matter of fact, I think that my me will join your you. <laughs>
2: Terrific. Johnny joins Laurie by sitting on Carlson's desk. He tries to sit crisscross applesauce, but he can't quite get his legs to cooperate.
0: <laughs> and that's Johnny deferring to authority. She's just completely ignoring authority. Just sit on the desk and she doesn't care. But Johnny's got some respect for art. Yes. So Johnny asks Lori how long she plans to stay. She tells him she doesn't know but she's completely free. Johnny tells her she could maybe get a job here or go to school. Who knows? You just seem all grown up. You don't. Johnny asks Lori if she's dating.
2: I've moved in with a guy.
0: That ruins my next question. <laughs> Kills the next question.
2: Jennifer is at her desk when we move to the lobby. She's reading some papers while the salesman pours water into the coffee maker.
0: Jennifer has this guy making coffee. Why is he even still hanging around?
2: He's determined to sell some stuff. So, uh, you don't take dictation either. He then asks her if she types. We've developed an aerosol spray that absolutely obliterates
1: typos. What's
2: a typo?
1: You mean to tell me you never make mistakes?
2: Never.
0: I want more details on this typo spray. Right. We need to get some cans of that. (laughs) For me. So Art enters the lobby from the hallway and says good morning to Jennifer. Suddenly, Milt looks very interested. He's hoping this is the Mr.
2: Carlson that he's
0: been waiting for.
2: And we have a continuity error. When they cut to the reverse angle, Carlson takes his hat off twice. Yeah,
0: I just had the timing on it a little wrong in that reverse shot. Uh-huh. So Jennifer thinking quickly has a plan to protect Art. She just hopes he catches
1: on. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning, Mr. Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith, I'm afraid that Mr. Carlson won't be able to see you right now. <laughs> uh. If you would like to wait over there with that other salesman.
2: (laughs) Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, Art is in on the plan. He walks over to the couch, tossing his hat up and down. If
1: uh, you're expecting to meet with this Carlson clown any time this week, you might as well sit down.
2: Carlson sits. The salesman looks at Carlson and appears to be brushing something off his shoulder. I think he's
0: implying dandruff there is what he's going for. He's trying to knock down Art's confidence.
1: Uh, remember, pal, I was here first, huh?
0: We cut back into Carlson's office where Johnny and Lori are still sitting on Art's desk. Lori's filling Johnny in about her boyfriend. Johnny learns... He's a poet and an actor. And
2: a house painter. So, uh, a, a loser? A loser, yeah. Johnny
0: tells Lori he imagines her mother was terminally thrilled, and I love that choice of words. Lori tells him it's one of the reasons why she left. Taking her hand, Johnny tells her...
1: Well, you're here now. Yep. Just you and me and my old man.
2: Yeah. Johnny's confused, telling her that she counted him twice. No, I didn't. You're my father, and Justin's my old man. Johnny repeats the name. Justin. Laurie tells Johnny Justin is asleep in the van. Johnny begins blinking quickly, trying to digest what he's just learned.
0: 2,400 miles, and Justin's asleep in the van. That thing is funky. I'm telling you, that (laughs) van is funked up. So we went to the Urban Dictionary to check on the origins of the term old man. It is regularly used to mean both your father, or your husband. But we couldn't find out when it started from Urban Dictionary, so we went to Merriam-Webster. Both the terms old lady and old man, when referring to husbands and wives or boyfriends and girlfriends, are British and, surprise, very old. The first printed use of old lady to mean wife was in 1599. Old man, as a term for husband, first appeared in print in 1673.
2: Back out in the lobby, Carlson and the salesman are sitting on the couch, watching Jennifer as she walks to the magazine rack, selects a Vogue magazine, and walks back to her desk. The salesman leans toward Carlson as he points with his thumb. What do you
1: think this Carlson guy is paying her for, huh? <laughs>
2: Carlson has a frown on his face as he looks at the salesman. And I'm surprised he didn't just deck him right there. Yeah,
0: it's hard for Art to stay in his character as another
2: sales guy. Well, and you don't insult Jennifer in front of Carlson. We, of course, were curious about the date on the Vogue magazine that Jennifer picked out. We compared the cover of Jennifer's magazine to every U.S. Vogue cover from 1979 and 1980. The result? Nothing. L.A. Jamie Schmidt came through for us on this one. It's an issue of Vogue Paris from November of 1979 featuring Janice Dickinson on the cover. Of course, Jennifer would never read a domestic Vogue.
0: Johnny and his daughter come out of the office. Lori is excited for Johnny to meet Justin.
2: Johnny,
1: I can't wait for you to meet him. He's really a man of the cosmos. Sounds
0: like a fun guy. I don't think Johnny's quite as excited. Johnny and Lori leave the building, heading out to the parking lot, and... The van
2: man of the cosmos. What exactly does <laughs> <Yes>.
0: that mean? <laughs> he's spacey, <laughs> he's really out
2: there. I don't know. Yeah. Carlson was meeting with those two. What kind of a creep is this guy? Oh, big one. Carlson goes into his office and shuts the door. The salesman is upset because he was supposed to be next. He looks at Jennifer. What does that guy think he is? I don't know. The buzzer on Jennifer's phone sounds, and Jennifer answers it, yes, sir. <laughs> Mr. Carlson will see you now. <laughs> right. Picking up his briefcase, the salesman struts across to Carlson's door. Now we're getting
1: somewhere. Watch this.
2: Oh, I'd love to.
1: <laughs> so
0: you get the feeling Art's going to unload on him with both barrels, right?
2: I was hoping he would. Yeah.
0: I was really hoping they'd give us a little cut in there where the guy just comes through the door and sees Art sitting behind his desk. Yeah. I wanted I wanted just
2: that scene and then cut then away. Then he would have been speechless. They don't
0: say anything and just cut away, but we didn't we didn't get that one. So we cut to Johnny's apartment where Johnny opens the door ushering in Lori and Justin. Justin is carrying a suitcase and a sleeping bag. He drops him on the floor. Lori's looking around Johnny's apartment, telling him she loves it. This is
1: so much like I pictured it. So much. Oh God. Mom would hate this place. Yeah, it's
0: far out, man. Far out, man. I like Justin. Yeah. Had our daughter brought Justin home, you wouldn't have liked Justin. (laughs) But yeah, here we like Justin. Johnny's glad that they like the apartment, admitting that it may be a dump, but he tries to keep it neat. Justin has gone exploring and he finds a glass (laughs) stuck to the counter. He picks it up and looks at it closely.
2: Hey, man. There's like... Mold in his glass.
0: Johnny tells him it's an experiment he's working on.
2: Justin is being played and very well by Daryl Morey. This guy was born to act in an acting family. By the time he'd hit this role on WKRP, Daryl had already racked up 25 acting credits. His father was a professor of the theatrical arts at UCLA, and his mother was a stage actress. You know how sparse the bios were for Milt and Petrie. Daryl makes up for both of them. Anything you want to know about Daryl, just hop on IMDB and check out his bio. He has 67 acting credits, some of them recurring roles, and he took a 20-year break from 1986 until 2006, most likely to teach acting. Since then, he's been back at it and working regularly. Daryl is currently in production on a web series and filming a new movie called Café in the Void. Floor
0: out, man! We've got a poster watch in Johnny's apartment. On the back of Johnny's door is a poster promoting the Blue Wisp Jazz Club. The Blue Wisp was a real establishment in Cincinnati. It was established as a bar in 1977 by a guy named Paul Wisby. It quickly became known for its live jazz music, and it was considered the premier jazz venue in Cincinnati. When founder Paul passed away in 1984, his wife Marjean attempted to continue the club in the tradition Paul had started. It struggled in the 90s and into the 2000s. Marjean died in 2006, and the club did eventually close in 2014.
2: Lori is looking at the posters and the pictures that Johnny has on his apartment walls. She is shocked to see a picture of Johnny with Mick Jagger. Johnny tells her it was taken a long time ago. Lori's very impressed. You are a great man! Lori gives Johnny a hug, and then Justin tells Johnny that it's far out. It's far out, man. And tells him that he plays guitar. You think, like, maybe you could speak to Mick? Which brings us to line of the episode... Honorable mention. I mean,
1: Keith Richards can't last forever. Am I right?
2: (laughs) And this was in 1980 that he was saying this. Johnny looks as if he is starting to explain, but then decides not to even try. I'll
1: speak to Mick tomorrow. We're going swimming together.
2: (laughs) Justin is thrilled.
0: Going swimming together.
2: We just wanted to make a note. Here, that at the time this line was aired, Keith Richards had just turned 36 years old. At the time of this podcast recording, Keith Richards is 77 years old and seemingly can last forever.
0: Let's talk for a minute about that picture, and I really wish they'd done a close-up on it. I do, too. That really is a picture of Howard Hessman with Mick Jagger from a 1969 promo for a TV show called... Music Scene. Music Scene was ABC's counter programming against Rowan and Martin's laugh in on NBC. It was modeled on the British Top of the Pops and featured multiple music acts each week. Between numbers, San Francisco-based improv troupe The Committee, The Committee Connection, which included Howard Hessman performing as Don Sturdy. They would do hip and edgy sketch comedy.
2: The hipster credentials of The Committee attracted the hottest rock acts, including The Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, and on their first episode, The Rolling Stones. I'm Don Sturdy with The Committee. Look for us on Music Scene This Fall. I'm Mick Jagger
1: of the Rolling Stones. I see your music scene in the autumn. There must be room for both of us.
2: It turns out the committee was too hip for the network. Their anti-war stance did not play well with advertisers. The troupe was quickly fired and a new cast was assembled. Larry Hankin, Carl Gottlieb, and Christopher Ross of the committee stayed with the show. These defections caused so much infighting. The committee disbanded and stopped performing because of their involvement with Music Scene.
1: I'm with the committee. We're hosting Music Scene. Just now, a stone came through my window bearing a message. See you this fall on Music Scene,
0: you freak. (laughs) Johnny asked Lori and Justin what they'd like to do. Hey, let's
1: get... Well, sure. (laughs) yeah.
0: Justin sits on Johnny's bed, and Johnny suggests maybe they should unpack their things first. Yeah,
1: like,
2: uh, where's the bedroom?
0: Like, you're on it. (laughs) Johnny tells him he planned to let Lori have the bed, and he'd sleep in a chair.
2: We can't take your bed.
1: We? You? Justin? (laughs)
2: Lori puts her hands on Justin's leg, and she explains to Johnny they are married. She and Justin gaze into each other's eyes as she explains.
1: We stopped at Yellowstone National Park. We found this pretty place where we stood and held hands, and I said, Justin, you are now formally my old man forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was far out, man. We did it right in front of Old Faithful. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So classy. Right in front of Old them.:
2: Oh, yeah. Johnny asks if there was a minister present. Nah.
1: <laughs> so it's not really legal. <laughs> nah. <laughs> wow, well, your love is written across the sky. Oh, man, that's
0: beautiful. Oh, man, that's beautiful. Justin has his arm around Lori and is starting to kiss her. When Johnny can't help himself, he grabs him by the wrist and unwraps his arm from around Lori. Johnny tells Justin if he closes his eyes... He can probably see the stars. <laughs> Whoa. Justin gets this weird look on his face, and he closes his eyes. But I love it. When he closes his eyes, his whole body changes position. He
2: kind of sets his body. Yeah, just
0: everything. He twists and moves. It's a, it's a,
2: just to close it's your so eyes, funny.
0: to get your whole body involved in closing your eyes. Cracked me up. Far out. Johnny suggests they go get some pizza, and then they can come back and rap all night long. Johnny and Lori start to walk out. Justin is still standing there. <laughs> With his eyes closed. And that goofy And that grin on his face. (laughs) So Johnny tells him he can open his eyes now, and Justin gets in one more. Floor out. (laughs) And then he lets Johnny know, well, of course he is. He's a vegetarian. Uh, We'll order you some crust. (laughs) (laughs) So Johnny ushers Justin out the door.
2: (laughs) Floor out, man. We come back to Carlson's office, where Carlson is sitting at his desk, taking inventory of... Several office supplies that he ordered from the office supply salesman.
1: Uh, the Mark 2 calculator. Got that. And the, uh, ah, the statement. Huh. Got that. That's about it. <laughs> Through concrete, huh?
0: <laughs> Hold on a minute here. The salesman was a
2: jerk. He was insulting <laughs> Jennifer. Why did Art buy stuff he from him? He can't help it. He needs those office toys.
0: And he's just way too easy a mark.
2: Carlson puts the stapler on top of a few sheets of paper and pushes down on the handle, shooting a staple through the papers and into the top of his desk.
0: And had his desk been concrete,
2: it would have gone in worked. there.
0: So Johnny Hedder's wanting to discuss parenting advice. Listen, uh, you got a kid.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, what are your theories of uh, child rearing? Oh, pray for the best and ensure everything. <laughs> Ensure
0: everything, <laughs> Johnny Assart, right, What about after the kids eighteen or nineteen? You know, grown up. Carlson tells Johnny he's not sure eighteen or nineteen is grown
2: up. Jennifer enters the office, Mister Carlson. Huh? Your safe will be delivered at four o'clock. <laughs> <Aha! My> dog. <laughs> Carlson notices the stern look he's getting from Jennifer.
1: Well, I, I, I need a safe.
2: Johnny decides to get some advice from Jennifer. What were you doing when you were 19? Some things. (laughs) Why? I
0: love her line reading on that. Some
2: things. Yeah,
0: and it says so much about what those things are without saying anything.
2: Well, after reading her book, My Life in High Heels, yes, she was... She was up to some things. ...doing some things. Johnny expands on his question, becoming frustrated quickly.
1: Well, what I mean is, uh, were you... Fully grown? I mean, (laughs) mature? Uh, Were you an adult?
2: Jennifer explains that she's been on her own since she was 17, and that she and her mom, they got along very well.
0: And you said that that is somewhat autobiographical based on Life in High Heels. They
2: were like friends. They told each other everything.
0: Johnny asks her if everything she did was okay with her mom and vice versa, and Jennifer tells him yes. Certainly turned out perfectly, if I may say so. You may. (laughs) You may. (laughs) Johnny and Jennifer start for the door to leave. Art, still messing with the papers that are now stuck to his desk, poses a question to Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer,
1: um, when do you think a person's all grown up?
2: Don't worry, Mr. Carlson. You'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if Mr. Carlson will ever get there. I
0: don't know. He may have topped out. (laughs)
2: Well, the subject of parenting and growing up is being discussed all over the station. We come to the bullpen, where Bailey is dramatically coming to the end of telling Johnny and Venus about an experience with her parents. Well, it was just unbelievable. Johnny is sitting at the DJ desk, and Venus is at Herb's desk. Now, let's take a look at Venus's vibin' threads. Venus is wearing a royal blue dress shirt with a royal blue suede fedora, a white with blue specks in it jacket, with a silk handkerchief in the breast pocket, two chain necklaces, an earring in his left ear, and what looks to be a bird of prey's talon pinned to his jacket lapel. Johnny asks Venus about his relationship with his dad. I
1: didn't see him much. My parents were divorced.
0: Johnny comments maybe Venus's dad felt guilty about not seeing him much.
2: But Johnny is going to make up for that, because
1: he's going to give Lori all the freedom that she ever
0: needed. Venus asks how much freedom Bailey answers for Johnny, saying Johnny considers her an adult. Now,
1: what if she wants to experiment with a lot of hard drugs?
0: Johnny starts to answer, but Bailey has pretty much taken over Johnny's side of this conversation. She asks Venus if he thinks Johnny's daughter is stupid. Venus says he's just asking a question.
2: Well, this conversation begins to get very serious. You know, I bet you'd be a really strict father, Venus. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's tempered with love. Parents got to start taking responsibility. You know, I kind of agree with Venus yeah, there. Yeah, very true. Again, Johnny starts to join in the conversation, but Bailey jumps in saying that even 19-year-olds have rights. Johnny wants to say something, but Bailey shuts him down. Would
1: you please stay out of this? He's talking to me. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> Venus asks Bailey a question. Picking up a small framed picture from Herb's desk that we can only assume is a picture of Herb with his family.
1: What if you had a daughter, and she was going to marry an idiot?
2: (laughs) What then? (laughs) Well, this causes Bailey to pause, and she doesn't know. She asks Johnny what he thinks. Johnny sits and looks from one of them to the other, afraid to speak after being cut off multiple times.
1: She's your daughter.
0: We cut back to Johnny's apartment where Johnny walks in to find a snoozing Justin still lying in bed. Lori is cooking in the kitchen. He slams the door loudly, which causes Justin to raise up. Lori asks if he would like some breakfast. Johnny looks at his watch and again at Justin. No, I already had lunch. Justin is sitting up. He's yawning, and Johnny asks if he has any clothes on under there. Yeah, yeah, sure, Nancy. Take it easy. Lori asks if there's a problem. Johnny says there's no problem.
1: Your old man's uptight because he thinks we've been in the sack together.
2: Lori asks Johnny why he is so uptight.
1: Because I'm your father, that's why.
2: Lori tells Johnny that she thought he was her friend first. Turns
1: out it's the other way around. Power trip.
2: Johnny starts to say something to Justin and then changes his mind.
1: Look, Lori, I don't care what you do in other people's houses, but here it's...
2: Justin jumps up and says they will go to someone else's house. Lori looks at Johnny, saying when he was 19, but Johnny interrupts. (laughs) No,
1: we're not talking about me, honey. We're talking about you. As long as you're going to be here. We just have to have some rules. And as
0: soon as rules come out, Justin is wanting out of there. So Lori glares at Johnny.
1: That sounds familiar. I know. I'm sorry. Also sounds like a good
0: time to split. Johnny explains Lori can sleep in the bed, and the two of them, Justin and Johnny, can sleep over on the floor. Justin isn't buying it. He tells Johnny, forget it. Johnny tells him to just split then.
2: You got it, man.
1: You got it. Justin! Look, Lori, I'm going to go pack up the van. You want to be free, I'll see you in five minutes. You want to suffocate here, I'll see you around.
0: Justin leaves, no questions. With his things in his arms, he closes the door, and Lori tries to stop him.
2: That's our first fight since Mount Rushmore. Well, Johnny apologizes and asks Lori if this is really what she wants. You want to just drift with no direction? You want to find yourself where you are right now when you're 40? One. And I think Johnny is kind of looking back on his life. Yeah, and a little having...
0: self-examination there. Yeah,
2: Lori begins to gather her things and says she's got to get going. Johnny tries to convince her to stay.
1: You could stay here. You could go to school here. You could
2: you're... be your pal.
1: Yeah. And my daughter.
2: Lori picks up her things to leave. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to live under anybody else's rules but my own. Johnny tells her she's just a kid. I am not!
0: Wow, was that a dad thing to say or what? You're just a kid. As Lori's putting on her backpack, Johnny's trying to explain why he can't be just her friend. Lori tells him she has to go. That's your right. I won't stop you.
1: Thanks for everything, Johnny. Daddy... Daddy.
0: You can just see Johnny's heart breaking. She's going with Justin.
1: I'm sorry things didn't work out any better. Uh if you ever come to the realization that Justin is like a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just hope you'll drop back by here. Lori
0: assures him she will, and she walks out. Johnny watches her leave but then he's got to call after her. I'll, I'll probably see you in
1: about a week.
2: <laughs> we come back to the studio where Johnny enters to the sounds of Bill Haley and his comets singing Rock Around the Clock. He hurries to his chair and he opens a letter. As he looks at the letter, we hear a voiceover of Lori reading its contents. Dear Johnny, Dr. Daddy, hello from Philadelphia.
0: It's not a less news story, but it is another Philly reference.
2: Lori goes on to explain she's staying with an aunt and uncle and plans to stop by to see Johnny on her way back to Seattle. I thought I'd be going back to school for a while since Justin has decided. Johnny stops reading because Rock Around the Clock is coming to an end. He needs to start. The long run by the Eagles.
0: Johnny goes back to the letter, and Lori's voice begins
1: again.
2: Since Justin
1: has decided to become a sales and marketing, since Justin has decided to become a sales and marketing. Johnny
0: turns the letter back. Over to the front, causing Lori's voice to back up and repeat the end of the first side of the letter, then continues to the back when Johnny (laughs) flips it over. I
2: love that gag. I know it. That was so funny. Since
1: Justin has decided to become a sales and marketing trainee for Aerozone Industrial Tubing, Justin says tubing is where it's at. What a jerk.
0: Johnny smiles when he reads this. He is a jerk. Johnny's smiling at the letter when Andy bursts into the studio, hearing the long run.
1: That's a hit. He's <laughs> playing play a hit. He's hit. everybody!
0: And he goes to the turntables. He looks at the album that is playing. He does this little move. He's trying to read the spinning label. <laughs>
2: Even though he's hearing it.
0: He's hearing it, but he's trying to read the label. Then he rushes out into the hallway yelling to anyone that will listen about Johnny playing a hit on WKRP. He just
2: can't believe it. Okay, now let's back it up a bit and talk about what aired versus what happened on the Shout Factory discs when it comes to the music in this scene. This one isn't pretty. Shout Factory couldn't clear the hit, The Long Run, from The Eagles. They were able to clear Rock Around the Clock, which was in the original show. The problem is, Laurie's voiceover reading the letter, it, it continues through both songs. We don't think they
0: got a clean copy of the scene. That would mean the scene without any music in it, just their voices. Instead, what Shout Factory got was already mixed, so getting rid of the Eagles also meant having to replace the voiceover. And that created a problem because if they replace the voiceover for the Eagles, they're going to have to replace it over Rock Around the Clock, or you'll notice the difference between the two different voices for Lori. We'll just give you a few seconds of it, but here's the original as it aired from the Big D, Dale Kovar's recreated disc.
1: Dear Johnny, Dr. Daddy, hello from Philadelphia. I'm staying with Aunt Lila and Uncle Frank for a few weeks, then I hope to see you again on my way back to Seattle.
0: And here's a little sample of the voice Shout Factory used to replace Patrick.
1: Dear Johnny, Dr. Daddy, hello from Philadelphia staying with Aunt Leela and Uncle Frank for a few weeks. Then I hope to see you again on my way
2: back to Seattle. I think that's awful. Oh, that was just awful. Even though they couldn't clear the Eagles, Shout Factory seems to have gone the extra mile when it comes to getting a sound-alike for the hit. This is what the open to the long run sounds like as it aired in February of 1980. Since Justin has decided to become a sales and marketing t- Since just- And here is a very close sound-alike on the Shop Factory discs. Since Justin has decided to become a sales and marketing
0: t- When Andy said this was a hit, he wasn't joking around. The Long Run is the title track from the Eagles' 6 studio album. It was released in September of 1979. There was a lot of pressure on this release. It was the follow up to their mega hit Hotel California. The single came out in November of '79 and raced up the charts to peak at number eight on the US Hot 100.
1: I used to hurry a lot. I used to-
0: So that's going to do it for this episode. It was so much fun meeting the doctor's daughter. What is up for next week, Donna? Next week
2: is Filthy Pictures. Andy and Jennifer agree to do a photo shoot for a charity. While dressing after the session is done, the photographer takes nude photos of Jennifer without her knowledge And he tries to blackmail her.
0: And this is an hour long that we're going to be doing over two of our episodes. That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes and find us on social media. You can follow our Facebook page at WKRP cast.
2: Got a question, comment or correction? Let us know about it. Write us wkrpcast at gmail.com
0: And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for
1: listening. Bye. May the good news be yours.
0: WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders.
1: Most forgot, God fellow babies. <laughs> Booga!